And my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last time. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen guy. Oh, Pennsylvania, we love Pennsylvania. As the dust settled from the November elections, there were lots of discussions focused on what happened with the Latino vote in Florida. You know, truthfully, Democrats came up short from each and every projection. To this day and for months to come, I'm sure that lots of money and time are going to be spent to figure out how best to engage Latino voters. I have not heard too many conversations about what happened in Pennsylvania. You know, there's more than half a million eligible Latino voters in Pennsylvania. And upward of 50% of the Commonwealth's Latino population is Puerto Rican. Now, we should never forget the devastation of Hurricane Maria and the earthquakes afterward. You know, in the weeks and months after that tragedy, tens of thousands of Puerto Ricans joined hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans who call Pennsylvania home. And today, we're fortunate to have a real trailblazer. And she's made history and she cares deeply about her city about Puerto Rico, and about the Latino community across the Commonwealth. Janet Diaz was the first Latina elected to Lancaster City Council. Now, Lancaster dates all the way back to William Penn. It played a prominent role in the American Revolution. It's home to Franklin and Marshall College. And I think worldwide, it's known for the Amish community. The population of the city of Lancaster, believe it or not, is 40% Latino. As you make your way up the Route 222, the Berks County, uh, Redding, is two-thirds Latino. My hometown of Allentown, next county up in Lehigh County, 50% Latino. This is a growing community, and statistically, it's significantly younger than the median age of Pennsylvania. Janet made history last year, again, as the first Latina to ever run for state Senate. Uh, now, she came up short, and we don't have any Latinas in the state Senate in Harrisburg, but she inspired Latino candidates across Pennsylvania who are standing for municipal office this year. She's going to help us understand what it takes to energize Puerto Ricans next year and what's cooking local races this year. President Trump has been able to increase his Latino voters. We love our Hispanics. That means Joe Biden cannot take them for granted, especially in some states where the Latino vote could actually determine the political fate of this country. Councilwoman Janet Diaz, welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you very much for the invitation. You made history. You're the first Latina elected to Lancaster City Council. And uh, we have listeners from across the Commonwealth and down in Washington and beyond. And I think a lot of folks, when they think of Lancaster, uh, they think of the Amish. And they certainly make up about 6% of the community and the county. When I moved here from New York City back in, I think, the 80s, it was pretty quiet. There wasn't very many diverse restaurants or businesses um, by or Latinos or African-American um, residents. So it has grown. We have 
a lot of artists that has come to Rank the Star from different parts of the United States, whether it's New Jersey, New York, Florida, California. So that has actually brought a influx of different people from all over that has sprung into what used to be a very quiet, conservative city to a very diverse hip. I would call it, some people call it Little Brooklyn, <laughs> but it really has made uh, a change, even with my um, self as I grew up. You know, I came here um, from a very diverse New York City, the Bronx, and as a child, I was very introvert. And once I graduated from McCaskey, which is a very well-known school and high school, it really uh, changed my perspective in life. It made me feel that I could be part of the community in different parts, you know, whether it's giving to the community, whether it's elderly, whether it's the religious community. So I'm very happy that has changed, although we do have problems, of course, which is about, you know, Biden, violence in, in some type of brutality, whether it's the police force or some type of drug addiction out with the homeless. So it has changed. I kind of wish it was still back to quietness, you know, back in the 80s where <laughs> you didn't see so much uh, traffic that has really brought the, I would say the environment in our air has really become more polluted. So that is a concern. I'm a very advocate about our environment. Um, yeah, everything that has to do with recycling or car emissions, that really is something that I fight for as a city councilman. Give our listeners a sense how big is city council and then the relationship with the, uh, with the mayor? Um, we have a total of seven city council members and the panel is all Democrats. So the city is predominantly Democrat. We do have, although I personally have a different perspective, and I do have an independent voice um, on the panel because being a woman of color and being Latina, there, there's a lot of um, inequalities. And when I go out and talk to my constituents and I knock on doors, it's really important to voice their opinions and to speak up for them. So it's more like I'm not speaking for myself, I'm speaking for them. And when I took my oath for city council, I took it very seriously and I still take it seriously. To me, every person that pays taxes, every child that needs a good education, you know, everyone that's complaining about their rent or their mortgages just too much for them currently because it has really grown and we're bringing in more condominiums and um, the homes that are becoming more and more expensive for people to buy. And they're, they're actually selling and leaving the city, going into the county or even outside of Pennsylvania. And that bothers me. And that's why I do speak up. You know, I'm a little different. I do have a good relationship with everyone, but I stay on my ground. <laughs> I'm very different. <laughs> Before we plunge into some of the public policy issues, as you're running for re-election and you're hearing at the doors, if we could go backward... You know, I think for a lot of listeners, uh, especially outside of uh, Pennsylvania, they might not know that 38% of Lancaster is, is Latino, that the Route 222 corridor up to the New Jersey border and in my home region of the Lehigh Valley is known as the Latin Corridor. Um, if you can give folks, I mean, your story of coming from the Bronx to the farmlands of uh, historic Lancaster, I think for a lot of folks might seem 
unique, but tens of thousands have uh, have, have followed this, and it's uh, it's something I think that we we maybe want to unpackage a bit. Uh, you know, I mean, upward of seven percent of Pennsylvania is is uh, Latino, and uh, generally they're living in communities like Lancaster up through two twenty two. So, if you could speak a bit to that, well, I can start with from the beginning when we moved here. My mother tried very hard to find a place for us to live, and it took, uh, I would say, a few months of living in a U-Haul truck, from a U-Haul truck to a room where we shared, you know, uh, to try to survive. Then, of course, she had a very hard time trying to find work, and she wasn't used to not being without a job. She worked in a really good production factory in New York City where she made very good money that, you know, she was able to put food on the table and a roof over our heads. Um, to her, moving here to Lancaster, it wasn't her choosing, it was a separation, obviously. But she was willing to come to Lancaster because she wanted to give us a good home. She wanted us not to um, have any issues with either drug addiction or being in the street or you know, making sure we had a good education. That was her goal in general. So from coming to a place where it was very quiet, like you said, in a way, some things were good because we we enjoy getting the, the milk from, <laughs> from the farmers that used to deliver at the door, which is great. It was different, you know, fruits and vegetables. But the daunting, I would say it was more like a nightmare. You know, coming to Lancaster, not having a friend for two years, not, you know, I just, you know, it it really broke my heart to the point where I really, ha- I kept begging my mom, I don't want to live there anymore, I want to go back home, I want, my home is New York City, but she kept, you know, she kept saying, no, I was the oldest, so I took care of the siblings as well, while she was trying to find work, or everything that she tried to do to survive, and at many times, even today, Women Latinas and people of our culture have a hard time getting into these positions because they don't give us a chance. So making $3.35 an hour was very hard. It was hard to put food on the table. It was hard to put clothes on on us. But she struggled. And she told us that the best thing for us to do is to go to school, study. So she was very adamant to teaching us that Unless you invest your time in education, you're never going to dig yourself out of this homelessness or out of this poverty. There were really good friends that she met in Conestoga View, which was an old nursing home, which is, as of today is still um, up and run now. It used to be run by the county, but once it changed hands, it really made a drastic change, not for the better for the employees, but unfortunately my mother had a accident lifting a patient that caused her to to leave her position and, and retire early. And most of my time, um, because she was working so many hours, I would spend it with my mom feeding patients on Christmas Eve or Thanksgiving or Easter. That was the only time I could spend with my mom because there were times she would work overtime. And I would say today there are many that are working two or three jobs and working overtime just, just to make ends meet. And I don't want to kind of I, I become a little melancholy sometimes because I just see it in our in our city in Lancaster, and it breaks my heart. That's why many people, as a as a candidate and also as a legislator, I'm out there. You know, I'm out in the. Everybody's like, "Well, 
there's one thing Janet has, and maybe you might not, not like some of the things she does, but she's always with the constituents. She's always out in the southeast, or where a lot of people feel that they've migrated us or they segregated us to the southeast. But, you know, she did struggle. She did teach. I graduated from Pasadena, which was a great school because I went from one school where I was completely Anglo and I felt like so isolated and so quiet that, you know, for me to be the first friend across the street that lived in this big, huge mansion and I'm living in this tiny apartment where there was one bedroom and we shared bunk beds, <laughs> you know, that's very, um, it's very hard for a child, you know, and the good thing about it is that I'll never forget April Miller and uh, the experience I had when her mom crossed the street and asked if my mom could come out. I thought I was going to get a whooping because I'm like, okay, what did I do? I'm just sitting here admiring this mansion across the street. <laughs> But it was, it was actually, she wanted to talk my, to my mother to see if I could come out and play with April at her residence. And of course, my mom said, sure. So that was my first friend in Lancaster um, back in the 80s. And it was a good experience. It really broke my heart when they moved. But yeah. <laughs> well, thank you uh, for sharing some of those memories and some of those emotions. You know, to use that term, to be honest, it breaks my heart. And this was only less than four years ago, is how quickly uh, Washington moved on. And I think our body politic moved on from Hurricane Maria. And over 3,000 of our fellow Americans uh, died, and over 125,000 were displaced. And I think a lot of listeners need to be reminded that upward of 32,000 Puerto Ricans came uh, up to Pennsylvania, the second only to uh, the state of Florida. So if you give a sense of what, when you look at the Latino community, uh, number one, is it primarily Puerto Rican? And number two, is it Puerto Ricans such as yourself, who maybe immigrated uh, over the last few decades, uh, immigrated meaning moved uh, down uh, 78 and 222 from New York, or uh, came up from the island? In reference, if we're talking uh, Pennsylvania directly into the city of Lancaster or the outskirts of Lancaster, because we have uh, some, let's say, some Mexicans, Dominicans, a pretty large variety of people, Latino or Hispanic heritage. The, the Puerto Rican, I would say, population did grow after Maria. When it when it occurred, it was two weeks after I came back from Irma. <laughs> so that was that was an interesting situation because I thought I was going to die there when Irma was going to strike. It was the first time that my husband experienced a hurricane because he's not he's European, so. It was very shocking for him to even see the hurricane occur. And I was like, well, I experienced who though. So to me, it was like nothing other than this is a big one. <laughs> when they did come here, I'm not sure exactly the numbers. I think it might have been 300 people from that migrated from Puerto Rico to Lancaster. And uh, I still have some that I went into that have um, stayed. Some did leave because they were not able to either find work or they were not able to find a sustainable place to live, and they had a pretty large amount of, um, you know, number of, of, in their family, like the members of their family. But the ones that did stay, some were nurses, some were doctors, some, you know, very well-educated, some were elderly, you know, um, that had come to stay with their family. 
they're happy in Lancaster because um, they were able to be with the community, with the Latino community. And of course, we had Casa in Action and that helped them through the different um, steps to find places to live and some, I would say, just low entry home um, jobs. Then we also have the Spanish Civic Center that also helped. And uh, of course, the mayor and city council trying to get funding for them to stay in hotels. So it was a pretty daunting task, I would say, for, for our city. But in general, I think that I'm going to say probably 75% of them stay. The rest have left because they just felt uncomfortable not knowing to, you know, when you don't know a language, it makes people uncomfortable. I would say anybody that doesn't speak perfect English feels uncomfortable because they feel like they're either embarrassed if they can't speak it clearly or they feel like they're going to chastise um, because of their accent. So, unfortunately, we still have racism and it doesn't even matter. It could be somebody from Europe, you know, that uh, maybe be, you know, could be from England and has an accent and they feel uncomfortable because they can't speak English very I would say the American English. My mom says the proper English is from Britain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, so I, I will kind of aggressively pivot to, uh, to politics. Uh, as, as we said from the jump, uh, you made history, the first Latina elected to city council. But give a sense. You know, I know in the 2018 midterms, the DNC and a lot of outside organizations put a tremendous amount of effort to register uh, these displaced Puerto Ricans, whether they be as Pennsylvania voters or Florida voters or elsewhere, yeah, give a sense as you look at the community since uh, the storm and maybe even before the storm, to what extent are they involved in politics? Uh, I guess where I'm coming from, uh, Councilwoman, is if you made history, but you and thousands of other Puerto Ricans have lived in Lancaster uh, for most of your life, what it seems like maybe there's been a disconnect. It's taken folks maybe a while to get involved in, in local politics. So I'm talking about just the general Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico politics is way different than Lancaster or Pennsylvania in general politics in the United States. One thing is, if you're going to ask someone for Puerto Rico to vote, and you say, and they ask you red, and you tell them Republican, that's what they're going to vote for because they have no idea that it's the opposite in Puerto Rico. There's um, a strong move, PNP uh, in Puerto Rico, uh, which is kind of like a, I would say, independent type of mentality. And it's very different. So unless you can get them connected to understanding the difference, whether the Democrat or Republican, and also the independents, they might be able to, you might persuade them to come out and vote. Now, running into, I did run into a lot of people that came from Puerto Rico, and I took that 10, 15 minute time, which is normally three minutes at the door, to the point where I would come in and even sit and have coffee with them just to explain to them and get them registered to vote. Now, explaining to them how important it was to have someone at the table just like them, like myself, being the first Latina elected, they actually got very excited. They excited. They were excited to go out in the primary and vote for me. They were excited to understand that I took that moment and that time to educate them. That's the number one key. I think I, I got that from my mom. Unless you educate somebody, you're not going to motivate them and explain legislation. And I don't push people 
if they have a very strong Republican background and their faith is going to compel them to stay that way, I don't push them. I just say, well, then just register to vote, you know, and give me a chance. Give me a chance to support you and to represent you because when it comes down to it, when I make my, you know, when I made my oath, my oath was to represent everyone. I do not push people aside just because they're Republican. I've had people say to me, Janet, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I am Republican, but I do have a problem. And I'm like, well, let's put politics aside. What is your problem? Let me help you. Because to me, that's not important now. If you're really having a crisis, whether it's you know, your store coming into your house, whether you know, some, you know, your landlord is trying to throw you out because you, you, there was something that he didn't fix in his house or you know, the taxes are too high. That doesn't matter to me what side you're on. My job is you elected me and this is what I'm supposed to do. So when it has to do with the Hispanic community, I just educate them. You know, um, I tell them, like, if you're, you want to be a Democrat, it's, it's actually blue, not red, <laughs> to make you understand. Because they do go to the poll and some of the judges of elections say it, Janet, they always say, What's blue? What's red? <laughs> and then they both are like, this is why it's so important to me as a representative or, or even as um, an elected official or being on the secretary of the uh, Pennsylvania State Democratic Party. I educate them. I'm also part of the Latino caucus. I'm, I sit on the board and trying to get them motivated to even be on the, you know, be part of the caucus so they can see that. We try to strive to get elected officials that are just like us, you know, that look like us. We only have, I think, 1% in Pennsylvania that are Latino representing us. Let's unpackage that. You know, there's <laughs> there's upward of a million, uh, we'll see with the census numbers, but, you know, folks estimate that there's upward of a million Pennsylvanians who would label themselves Latino. And as I mentioned, that's, that's upward of 7%. But when we take a look at the legislature, when we take a look at uh, places like Allentown and Reading and Bethlehem and Lancaster, it doesn't necessarily sink. Hazleton is high. Hazleton up in Luzerne County. So, so how, what, what, what is it going to take? Uh, maybe I'll rephrase it this way, Councilwoman. If you had a magic wand, how how could we get more Puerto Rican Pennsylvanians running for office and you know fully exercising you know their their constitutional rights? Now that you say that. Last year, when I ran for the Pennsylvania State Senate, I think I broke the ceiling glass. <laughs> you did. You made you made history there too. <laughs> I did make history. I won an unbelievable primary without an endorsement from the party, and I said to myself, even working with the Biden administration, the uh, you know the campaign that was you know Latino for Biden, we had Latinos for Janet and. I said, even if I don't win the general, I got so many Latinos out to vote. I was so proud. I'm proud of myself, but also the Latino caucus that really invested their time. People from all across the nation, I mean, everywhere, from California all the way down to Texas to Florida, people that donated, that believed that there should be someone at the table that knows what the Hispanic communities and what legislation that really needs to be pushed to help them. You know, even even the immigration, you know, when, when we have Latinos that come from Mexico or, you know, they want to be citizens, but because of the cost of 
going through the integration process. I understand now because I went through it, not myself, but when I got married. You know, he was from, he came from Israel. You know, he's, and, and now it's like he opened my eyes to why I would want to help these immigrants that are working and cleaning, I would say, cleaning the toilets, if I wanted bold and frank, picking my crops, you know, working out there, whether it's catching chickens at, like in, in Birmingham, Pennsylvania, just to put that in, in your, you know, on your table for you to eat and not making enough, you know, to sustain themselves. This is why it was important to me to be on this um, race, you know, why healthcare was like the number one thing for me because I am a nerd when it has to do with healthcare. And a lot of people, even those that came from Puerto Rico, don't even have healthcare, and yet they're citizens. <laughs> so today, we were just having a meeting with the Latino caucus. We have a total of practically 24 Latinos and Latinos running in Pennsylvania, from being from local races to MDJ, from majority races to school board to city council. And I said, you know, if this is what I did and I didn't even win, then good for them. Good for them that they're standing up because if you look at Allentown, there's six, I think there's six candidates. And you know, Allentown is very, very high. And I don't recall the numbers in Reading. I know there's just myself and David Cruz that are running in Lancaster. But boy, that race last year was, it was exhausting. It was very daunting. <laughs> but it was fun. I got to meet actors and actresses. I got to meet you know, I got endorsed by President Obama, which was very, it was to me, that was great, you know, from President um, Biden and Kamala, you know, even um, Mayor Pete endorsed me and I got to speak to him. I, it's like I tell people, I'm not going to tell you his number, but I have his personal number. <laughs> so this is um, good, good stuff. I mean, this is this is fantastic. I was looking at the glass being half full. Obviously, uh, a loss was was difficult. But let's just walk backward before we unpackage uh, this important year in these municipal races. When you were knocking those doors and you were out in the community, granted, uh, it was in the midst of a pandemic, but what, what were the issues? What was the kind of the, the top uh, policy issues that voters, Latino and non, wanted to uh, uh, talk about? Well, when I first started, Senator Street has recommended, if you're going to do this, because he's the one that really persuaded me, he kind of like opened my eyes to the representation. And for our listeners, that's Senator Sharif Street, who's a state senator out of Pennsylvania, vice chair of the the state party. But sorry. No, that's okay. I'm glad you corrected me. He told me to start in 2019. So my objective first was to do my own exploratory uh, and see what was the major concern. So I went to the county. I didn't go into the city because I already knew what we had, what the issues were in the city. So, you know, I went to Lampeter, went to Porterville, Strasburg, and then knocked doors. And I said, can you tell me our farming? Well, I had like major, um, I had kind of put three questions. You know, what are your thoughts about the overproduction of building and taking away farm? and not preserving them for you know, agriculture. They were not happy about that. So that was one thing. Then I touched the subject, you know, about health care. Well, that one, that one through the roof. They're like, well, I don't have health care. I tried Obamacare and it was expensive. It was, it was out-of-pocket cost. It wasn't the cost of the insurance. It was the cost of the out-of-pocket. 
you know, once you pay your premium and then something happens to you, not only do you have to pay like upwards from a thousand to three thousand um, for your co-insurance, but then you have to, you know, you, you have an operation. You can be looking at a hundred to maybe two hundred thousand dollars after the contractual um, costs is being covered. Um, school, school funding, you know, whether you're in the city or even in the urban areas, on the urban or um, suburbia, there's a lot of children falling through the cracks because of school funding. And it's not equitably passed. It seems like if we were past it where using the the formula, then we give the right amount of money to the schools that are hurting the most versus the schools that don't need as much funding. I'm not saying take away all their funding, but at least make sure that you know students have textbooks to go to school. I mean, I was surprised that some were making copies and giving them copies as textbooks. I don't believe in that. I had a great education in Caspi, and I had to say that that is just deplorable. You know, so those were the three issues. Um, also, at that time, there were the school shootings. So I asked them in reference to, you know, firearms. Do you think teachers should carry firearms? Because I know my opponent was very into having teachers carry firearms. And they were very anti uh, any teacher carrying a gun because anything can happen, whether a child will pick up that gun, you know, would find it and use it without even knowing um, how to use a gun. Or if the teacher maybe has a you know, setback, a mental breakdown and uses it. You know, there, there's so many things that can happen with having firearm in schools. And of course, I even went further. I asked a police officer, my family is, I have about six police officers in my family, including my brother. And I said, what do you think? You're a policeman. And he says, you know, this is why we are policemen, because we're there to, you know, to protect our schools, protect our community. Teachers are not trained to be policemen, you know? And I thanked him for that because I was, you know, another thing that I, I heard a lot of parents, especially mothers, that were concerned about that. So that took a year, and I was able to start knocking on doors. I think it was April. So I did my investigation probably like March into April, and then I started getting some palm cards and just knocking on doors all through as many places I could go into the county area. Once it was official, and I made my announcement in January at the state committee, I then took Petitions, just a torture. And then all of a sudden, I celebrated my birthday at home with a mask <laughs> in March. <laughs> so, yeah. But the good thing is, I did not on those doors prior to. And once, I think it was in September, um, I noticed the Republicans were knocking door, And I have no fear. I have God next to me. So I just went out there and knocked doors again. And that's when... Um, People were concerned about the way things were being run with, you know, small businesses closing. You know, why is Costco open or, you know, why is um, Walmart open and why can't we open our, um, you know, businesses? So, yeah, that was another issue, you know, I care about um, those in, and definitely the people of color that have businesses. I think they hurt the most because a lot of them did not qualify for the new cares You've been very generous with your time. I know uh, you're taking time off the campaign trail as you're going to make history again to win re-election as the first Latina in Lancaster. Two uh, uh, quick questions. 
you know, in conversations on other episodes, there's there's debate whether or not all politics is local. And what I'm hearing from you is uh, maybe it is. And you weren't necessarily hearing immigration or defund the police or, you know, these types of, of larger national narratives. Uh, and you were hearing more local issues like, like education. Definitely. I mean, we did have an uprise in, I think it was May, um, in the protests of you know, defunding the police, which I think there's, a, that term is, shouldn't even be used because some people don't understand what defunding the police is. And even talking with the chief of police in Lancaster, people need to realize when we defund the police, we eliminate police officers, which means that we're putting our city at risk of any type of crime, whether in Lancaster is very heavy with having a lot of pedophiles, rapists. I mean, you can look it up. I researched before purchasing a home to see if there were too many around my, my neighborhood because even though right now I don't have any children, I still am concerned with the children that do live around you know, the, rest, the residence area. So that's the concept that people need to really instill into their brain. You just need to make sure that we have the right police officers with the right mentality. Having we voted to have social workers, so we have now a full-time and a part-time social worker in Lancaster. Um, but in general, healthcare was like the number one thing. Education is that it's still on the table. We have about forty million dollars that's sitting in Harrisburg, but because some of the legislators don't believe in you know the formula, the funding formula. That needs to be passed. Um, so, yes, that's very important. So, five, final question with uh, with an eye. I mean, it's crazy that we're uh, talking about 2022 and 2024. I mean, the dust is still settling. As you mentioned, we have uh, all these uh, super important judicial, uh, county, and municipal races uh, this year. And thank you so much for uh, helping inspire and recruit these candidates across multiple counties. But with an eye to, to future elections, which inevitably will be higher turnout affairs, you know, so much of the postscript from 2020 with a heavy focus on the Rio Grande Valley and uh, South Florida was that Democrats just did not perform in the Latino community at the numbers that anyone in campaign uh, war rooms thought they would. And, and let's be honest, let's be candid that uh, Pennsylvania uh, as well. Um, so we have time and we can only look forward uh, to bring out that magic wand again, Councilwoman. What can, and you're uh, incredibly involved with the Pennsylvania Democratic Party, what can the state party do? What can uh, national uh, uh, leadership uh, do to, to really learn lessons from last year? First of all, if you're going to support the Latino community, make sure that you, what you say you do. Too many Latinos feel burned out that legislators, they get in there and then they forget, you know. We need to really continue getting involved. That's one thing that I can say, even though I am a Latina, but they still look at me as a legislator, you know, and a representative of the government. I still go out to the community. I still knock on those doors, see how they're doing. There's an event. I'm there. Don't promise something that you cannot fulfill. If you're going to start campaigning, stick to what you're doing, stick to what you're saying, and, and don't lie. Go out there and talk to the, you know, Talk to your constituents. If you don't understand and have somebody translate for them. There's one thing that I do like about uh, Senator Sherry Street, even it's a little bit on the broken side, he speaks Spanish to them. And that means a lot. I mean, 
In fact, going out with Maria McLaughlin, that's running uh, for the Supreme Court, you know, she knows a little bit and she doesn't speak it. But when I, when I was out there with her um, yesterday and talking to the Latinos, you know, I talked to them fully in Spanish. And then I, you know, I said, and this is Maria. And then, you know, and I try to do it, whether it's a translation for her, but she was very open-minded to, and very, um, she really is, she's really in tune to the community, to the Latino community. Um, and it takes that, you know, it takes that, I would say that friendliness or that um, openness. Because one thing about Latinos, and I'm not sure how, how you are interacting, but I think you said you do have a lot of Latinos. You know, we're very family-oriented. We're very friendly, like, hey, would you like a cup of coffee? <laughs> would you like this, you know? If you treat them the same way, they're going to treat you with respect and they're going to listen to you. And if you, if you give them that opportunity, you have that vote. I mean, I think I, there were three times where I went into a home. There were mostly elderly women. Would you have coffee with me? And I'm like, okay, why not? <laughs> I'll take the coffee. <laughs> you know, you have to educate them. You have to be kind. If they don't, if it's spoken English, you know, be patient with them. You know, you can't just rush and say, okay, vote for me, you know, without them even knowing what you what do you want me to vote for you if I don't even know what, what, who you even are. So when I was even out there, you know, for, when I was campaigning for myself, but I would also campaign for Biden, you know, I would say, look, this is what Biden is going to do for this legislation when it has to do with immigration getting more Latinos involved. I'm very impressed with the fact that he nominated so many to be on his board. That meant so much, not only to the Latino community, but even to myself, because this is how we're going to get them involved, get them part of being either in the Latino caucus, which we're still working on because we do, you know, voter outreach, you know, registration, and giving them the education they need. So that to me, for 2022, it's important for those candidates to realize you want our vote, you're going to have to go out there and get it by talking to the community. That's one thing I got to give the candidates that are currently to judge. Um, they're out there. You know, they're out there. Well, they come out with me anyway. <laughs> well, sage, uh, uh, sage advice. And, uh, be careful. Uh, I, uh, we have a lot of candidates who listen to uh, this podcast, so I think you uh, <laughs> might, might have some uh, some folks other than Mayor Pete sharing their cell phone with you. But Councilwoman, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, for your time and your very unique Thank perspective. You. And, and most importantly, thanks for the work you have been doing and are doing uh, uh, with an eye to the future. Thank you so much, Ari. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at PA Political Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.